Are Martians hippies? Would Heinlein grok libertarianism? Is there any consistency to this man's political philosophy? Coming up on Social Science Fiction. You're listening to Social Science Fiction, a podcast that blends political science and nerd culture, examining the politics of science fiction and fantasy. Hey there, we're back to talking the politics of Robert Heinlein today. And this time we're talking about Stranger in a Strange Land. Classic Heinlein novel, possibly his most popular, most beloved book. And the book that gave us terms such as water brother, meaning someone you have a very close, intimate relationship with. And grok, meaning to understand something, to really be in sync with it and like it. A novel that examines politics, culture, social systems, language, philosophy, religion, both organized and as a way of thinking about the world. And a book that gives us another great opportunity to examine the philosophy, the politics of Robert Heinlein. So first, some background on the book. Heinlein began writing Stranger in a Strange Land in the late 1950s. In fact, he was in the middle of Stranger in a Strange Land when he began writing Starship Troopers. Upon hearing that the United States might suspend nuclear testing, Heinlein put that book on hold and fired off Starship Troopers in a matter of weeks. And after that was done, he got back to Stranger in a Strange Land, which was ultimately published in 1961. And being published in 1961 really proved fortuitous for Heinlein and for the book commercially. The book came out just in time to really capture the spirit of the 60s and tap into the counterculture and the hippie movement. A lot of the themes of Stranger in a Strange Land would ultimately really resonate with those communities. A lot of left-wingers, a lot of hippie types really responded to the themes of the book, the characters, which apparently bugged Heinlein to no end. While he clearly held some values, some beliefs that would sync up with hippie culture, which we'll get into in a minute. He apparently really could not stand hippies in general, their whole aesthetic, their larger worldview. I've heard in the past that apparently hippie fans of Stranger in a Strange Land would make little pilgrimages to Heinlein's house, which bugged the hell out of him. Heinlein was apparently annoyed as hell and probably a little embarrassed that people like that were such fans of him and and his work, he kind of just wanted them off his property and they wanted to pay their respects to him. But the fact that the book came out at this time is interesting given what we're talking about, which is what were the politics of Robert Heinlein? Did he have any kind of consistent political philosophy or did he change dramatically over time? In this case, it's interesting and important to note that while very different books in subject matter, in themes, some would argue in political content, Starship Troopers and Stranger in a Strange Land were actually written pretty much at the same time. Starship Troopers being written in the middle of Heinlein's work on Stranger in a Strange Land. They were written over the same several year period. They were published within a couple years of each other. So it's hard to think that Heinlein's politics could have changed that dramatically over the course of writing these two books. And it speaks to the possibility that maybe there is some consistency in Heinlein's thought. 
Now, to be fair, not everybody thinks this. There are plenty of people that think Heinlein changed dramatically in his philosophy, in his political outlook over time. It was actually his friend and fellow science fiction writer Isaac Asimov who was convinced that Heinlein's politics were largely dictated by who he was married to at the time. That when he was married to a more conservative woman, he adopted a more conservative philosophy. When he was married to a more liberal woman, he was a more liberal person. And it's fair to think that the women he married likely had an impact on Heinlein Lines, political development, what he thought. He certainly listened to the women in his life and probably absorbed and thought over what they had to say and they probably influenced him. But I don't think that's the whole story. As I said at the outset of this series of Heinlein episodes, when I talked about Starship Troopers, I think you can find consistent ideas throughout these books. And again, the fact that Starship Troopers and Stranger in a Strange Land, while being dramatically different, were written during the same period of time, would tend to disprove the argument that Heinlein changed dramatically over time, and that it was the result of him being influenced by different women in his life. As in fact, Heinlein was married to the same woman while he wrote both of these books. His last wife, Virginia Ginny Heinlein, who, as an aside, by the way, was a remarkable person in her own right. Virginia Heinlein studied biochemistry. She was an accomplished engineer, spoke, I think, seven languages, was a lieutenant commander in the Navy. She actually outranked her husband, or would have if they had been in the Navy at the same time, and she's generally regarded as the likely primary inspiration for Heinlein in writing a lot of the strong female characters that would appear in his novels. Also, just within the science fiction community in general, she's respected and lauded as having been a great guardian of Heinlein's work, his legacy, and working to get some of his work posthumously published or updated after his death. But anyway, back to Stranger in a Strange Land. I would argue that while differing dramatically from Starship Troopers and from a lot of his other work, it shows some consistencies in Heinlein's political philosophy. I would argue going from Starship Troopers to Stranger in a Strange Land doesn't so much show us a dramatic slide from one end of the political spectrum to the other as giving us a different perspective, a different viewpoint on the political philosophy of a very complex individual who is probably struggling with his political beliefs in trying to refine them. I don't think it's so much a slide from one thing to another as Heinlein feeling out his ideas and trying to explore them in a new way. But still fair to say that Stranger in Strange Land is remarkably different from Starship Troopers. The story's different, the ideas are different, a lot of the political philosophy, at least at first glance, comes off as being very different. If you listen to the Starship Troopers episode, and I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that before you listen to this, Starship Troopers comes off as a much more politically conservative novel. There's an emphasis on duty, on martial values, on the virtues of military service, on the virtues of having a strong national defense, a lot of things that conservatives tend to respect and value. On the other hand, Stranger in a Strange Land comes off as very libertarian-leaning, with an almost hippie commune philosophy. So, what is Stranger in a Strange Land about? The story in a nutshell is, at some point in the future, Earth sends its first human expedition to Mars. And Heinlein specifically notes, this expedition is crewed entirely by married couples. The explanation is married couples who are specifically selected to be very compatible with one another and with the other couples on board are more likely to work together and avoid any kind of conflict on a long-term mission to Mars and more likely to be successful. And this initial mission to Mars 
fails. They get to Mars and they are never heard from again. And it's always left very ambiguous what exactly happened there. There are hints that the crew turned on each other, that maybe they weren't as cooperative and compatible as they thought. It's pretty firmly established that at least some crew members cheated on one another and this produced conflict and possibly they all ended up killing each other or killing themselves or so on. So we don't get all the details. But what we do find out is while the crew ultimately perishes, they leave someone behind. And years later, when a new mission to Mars is sent, this time using much more advanced technology, allowing the crew to arrive in a much shorter amount of time. This new crew successfully lands on Mars and discovers that the planet is inhabited by Martian alien life, and that one of the crew members gave birth to a son on Mars, and this human child has been raised by Martians ever since, and is now an adult who, up until this moment, has never seen another human being. He has lived on Mars as a Martian, learned the Martian language, adopted the Martian culture. As far as this man named Valentine Michael Smith is concerned, he is a Martian. And so the crew of this new Martian expedition, after making contact with the Martians, learning a little bit about their culture, their civilization, returns to Earth, taking this man from Mars, Valentine Michael Smith, with them. And Stranger in a Strange Land is the story of this man. He is the stranger in a strange land. It's the story of Valentine Michael Smith as he learns what it means to be human and begins to teach his human friends and family what it means to be Martian. And along the way, Valentine Michael Smith and his friends and allies will have to contend with greedy and ambitious politicians who want a piece of Smith's inheritance. It's established that Smith, being the descendant of famous scientists who went on this mission to Mars, has a great deal of wealth and may possibly be, depending on how laws are interpreted, the human sovereign of the planet Mars as the first human born there and for an extended period of time, being the only human having lived on Mars. And they will also have to contend with the Church of the New Revelation, a new popular religion that is threatened by any possible competition. And along the way, Smith will teach his friends about Martian culture, Martian values, and struggle to overcome their human cultural mores and taboos that Heinlein portrays as generally silly and potentially harmful to humanity. So that's the basics of the book. That's the story. It is Smith learning English, learning what humans are, how humans behave, coming to view himself eventually as a human being and not as a Martian, and at the same time coming to see what he thinks are the silly, self-destructive elements of humanity, of humanity's common culture, and attempting to convince his friends and later the rest of the world that there are elements of Martian culture that they should adopt. And again, this book leaning heavily into very what would be considered hippie commune philosophy, as well as very libertarian themes and ideas. So first, let's talk about the hippie side of things. Stranger in a Strange Land is very heavily in favor of a free love ethos. Ultimately, what Valentine Michael Smith will do is create almost, he wouldn't call it this, but kind of from the outside is viewed as a cult, wherein all the members live in a commune where sexual partners are shared amongst one another freely. Everybody sort of sleeps with everybody else. This is encouraged as a means for everybody to grow closer 
to become more intimate, more loving towards one another. Jealousy, especially jealousy in terms of partners, in terms of sexual relationships, is frowned upon. It's presented as a destructive human taboo. In fact, Valentine Michael Smith, having come from Mars, explains that he can't even wrap his head around the idea of jealousy. The idea seems like insanity to him. Within the confines of this group's home, you find characters walk around naked, freely. So there's a very heavy free love nudism influence. Further, the book displays a strong suspicion of organized religion. If there's such a thing as a villain or an antagonist in the story, it's really the Church of the New Revelation and its leadership and its members. And this church is actually a really interesting organization within the book that calls to mind a lot of the big mega churches with the televised services, with all the flash and the pomp and everything. That seems to be what Heinlein is skewering here. It's a church that has big services in massive buildings with ministers cheering and screaming, with everybody drinking and dancing, being run by cynical hypocrites who know they don't know what they're talking about, but are doing it to gain money and influence and have a good time. But at the same time, while demonstrating significant antagonism towards organized religion, it's also a book that really embraces the mystical, the supernatural. It's certainly not atheist in nature. The closest thing to an atheist character in the book is one of the primary characters, Jubal Harsha, who, while being hostile towards organized religion and claiming to really not get religion in general, also is a self-proclaimed agnostic who says he just doesn't know, he's not certain of anything, and who specifically says, while he doesn't buy the idea of a god who wants to be worshipped, he can't imagine that all of the universe, that all of existence happened by accident. Even this character, who doesn't like religion, will be the first to say he's convinced that there has to be something deeper going on. There has to be some kind of spiritual force behind the universe. It's a book that, while taking a shot at organized religion, also says, keep your mind open to the mystical, to something beyond the reality that we can see and feel. And further, it's a book that pushes a view of religion and the mystical that resonates with the hippie free love philosophy. Ultimately, the message of the book is that true religion is about recognizing that we are all part of the divine. We all play a role in divine creation. One of the major lines that comes out of the religion that Valentine Michael Smith starts is the phrase, thou art God. Essentially, Smith, this man from Mars, claiming that you are God, I am God, everything that thinks and feels is God, is all part of this cosmic divinity. Very hippie-ish sounding idea. And finally, Stranger in a Strange Land, a book that portrays a very successful commune-style living. By the end of the book, Smith and his friends, his now converts, his followers, are all living together in one home. They call it a nest, sharing everything. There's no such thing as private property. Among this group, they all share everything evenly. They all contribute to the household in their own way, and they all benefit from what comes into the household equally a very communist-style state of existence, and this is portrayed as a good thing. This is portrayed as a group of people who have found true happiness with one another. So all very hippie-ish. All totally makes sense that individuals in the 60s counterculture would really see themselves in this book and would really get, would really grok its message. 
So all this really fits with the sort of a hippie political social philosophy to the point where I don't know why Heinlein was so surprised and so annoyed that hippies would show up to his house to cheer him on. Like, man, you were really speaking their language. Did you not see this coming? But on the other hand, there's sort of another piece to the book, which is more of a traditionally libertarian position. And I've talked about libertarianism before and what libertarians believe. But basic idea of libertarianism, rugged individualism, individual liberty, individual responsibility, capitalism and small government, suspicion of government. That's libertarianism. And a lot of that comes through in Stranger in a Strange Land as well. And none of this is more beautifully expressed than in the character of Jubal Harshaw. Again, one of the main characters of the book, and I'm convinced an author insert character, an attempt by Heinlein to put a character in the book who he identifies with, who he sees as being himself, and who he intends to be a mouthpiece for his own beliefs, his own philosophy. And I would just add, as an author insert character, possibly one of the most egregious examples of a Mary Sue character of all time. Jubal Harshaw is Heinlein inserting himself into the story and making himself sort of the hero of the the story that overshadows the protagonist, Valentine Michael Smith. And by the way, if you're not familiar with the term Mary Sue, it's a term that comes up in nerd culture. It's a character that is just unrealistically good at everything. It's a character that's just so insanely perfect and good and does everything right and succeeds at everything that it doesn't make sense anymore. It usually comes up in fan fiction where you have people write their own stories set in their favorite universes or settings and they insert a character in there and the character is clearly meant to to be themselves and the character is just too perfect to be realistic. That's a Mary Sue. And I think that's kind of what Heinlein is doing here. If you've read the book, this should be obvious to you right away. But if you've never read the book before, just an idea of what we're dealing with and how ridiculous Harshaw is a character. And by the way, this is not a shot at Heinlein or the characters. He's a great character. He's a lot of fun, but it is kind of ridiculous. Just for an idea of this character, Jubal Harshaw is both a trained medical doctor and a lawyer and who had a successful, brilliant career in both of those fields. He is now older and retired, and as a retired gentleman, he lives out in the middle of nowhere where no one can bother him, and makes a living writing short stories and scripts for movies and so on, and selling them to people, and everybody apparently wants to buy his stuff. He's able to support himself doing that, which he essentially does in his free time whenever inspiration strikes him. He writes off a new story, sends it off, and gets paid. And so this is his life. This brilliant former lawyer slash doctor, now writer, successful in all these careers, making a living, living alone, except for three beautiful young women who all spend their time parading around in bikinis, swimming in his pool as he watches, and also serve as his secretaries. And they're all also, by the way, brilliant women in their own right who, despite being brilliant and probably being capable of doing lots of things, choose to live together in this man's house and take notes for him and cook for him and handle his day-to-day day life. If this isn't Heinlein telling us who he wants to be and the life he wishes he could lead, I will be shocked. But anyway, this is a character who pushes a clear libertarian message over the course of the book. Jubal Harshaw is suspicious of government, in some cases outright hostile towards it, suspicious of anyone interfering in his business, jealously protective of his privacy, his right to live as he chooses, and someone who consistently promotes the idea that everyone has a right to live as they choose. As characters continue to come to him, asking him what they should do about this person or that person, his first response is always, it's their business, let them decide for themselves. A very libertarian character. When we first encountered Jubal Harshaw, 
Crenshaw in the story. We see Valentine Michael Smith and the first friend he meets on Earth, Jill Boardman, on the run, having escaped the hospital where the government was keeping the man from Mars locked up away from the public. They've escaped and now they're on the run. And upon arriving at Jubal's house, Jubal takes them in, agrees to protect them, and he welcomes the chance to challenge the government when he knows they will try to get Valentine Michael Smith back. Heinlein describes Harshaw as having more than his share of that streak of anarchy, which was the birthright of every American. He's a bit of an anarchist who wants to live as he chooses and thinks everyone else should have that right as well and welcomes a chance to push back against a government that he thinks will attempt to run roughshod over those rights. Later in the book, once he's taken in the man from Mars and Jill Boardman and he's hiding them and preparing for a showdown with the government, Harshaw becomes offended at the idea that the government is likely spying on him. Heinlein saying, The thought was infuriating. The notion that the government might be spying on his home, his castle, was as repulsive as having his mail opened. The idea of being spied on by the government, the idea that they might be reading his mail, completely disgusting to Jubal Harshaw. It's probably a good thing the man didn't live in our real world and live to see things like the Patriot Act. The man would likely have a stroke. So all this coming from Harsha, who again really comes off as Heinlein's mouthpiece in the book, displaying hostility towards government, a just generally low opinion of government and what government does, and a desire to be free of government and free of government's interference in his life, and further desire to ensure that all people have this same freedom from government interference. The idea that government is dangerous, destructive, a threat to freedom, individual liberty, comes through further in just how government is portrayed in the book. Most of the politicians come off as ambitious and self-serving and selfish, fitting in with public choice theory, something we talked about in the Harry Potter episode. And government agencies are presented as dangerous, potentially violent, and tyrannical. Interesting to note that the Federation, that's the government in this book, the Federation has a law enforcement agency known as the SS, and Harshaw will interact with a commander in the SS named Heinrich, a German-named guy commanding a law enforcement agency known as the SS. If this isn't Heinlein telling us government is scary and potentially fascistic and tyrannical, I don't know what does. All very libertarian in outlook. And so these are the core themes that come through in Stranger in a Strange Land. There's a very hippie-ish element and also a very libertarian element. And interestingly, both of these really appear to conflict with what we get in Starship Troopers, which is, again, a much more militaristic, conservative book. So what's going on here? Now, again... I think the popular view is that Heinlein's views changed over time, depending on who he was married to, depending on what was going on in his life. His views maybe changed a little bit, maybe he evolved. But in the case of these two books, we have two books that seemingly present very different political philosophies, but they were written pretty much on top of one another. I'd argue that there's a degree of consistency in these books and that they reflect different sides of the same coin, which is Heinlein's political philosophy. So what is consistent within this philosophy? What ties together Starship Troopers and Stranger in a Strange Land? I'd argue there's two things that I think come across in both books. One is Heinlein's strong belief in individual liberty in his opposition to the use of coercion by government or any other force to get people to live a certain way that they don't want to live. 
And another is seemingly Heinlein's hope that humanity will be able to surpass its old conflicts and prejudices and voluntarily live together cooperatively and peacefully in happy, healthy communities. And it seems like a lot of his writing is him struggling to reconcile these two things. He's a private, solitary person who longs for community. It seems like that's what's coming through in his writings. He strikes me as sort of a cynical hippie, as someone who values so much of the hippie lifestyle, the commune living, but doesn't think humanity can get its act together to actually voluntarily achieve something like that. He's a libertarian who doesn't want the government or anyone else to force him or anybody else to live a certain way, but also wishes people could voluntarily live in more of a communist-style society. It seems like that's what's going on here. That's what Heinlein is trying to reconcile. While he doesn't want to force anybody to live a certain way, and he values the idea of everybody as an individual living as they choose, it also seems to hurt him that people only ever think about themselves and can't get beyond that. He doesn't want to force it on anybody, but he does seem to wish that people could develop a more socially conscious, altruistic worldview. And so while we have two very different books presenting very different themes, different societies, both seem to deliver this message. In Starship Troopers, we have a society that Heinlein tells us is very protective of individual liberty, but only gives the vote, only gives political power to those who choose to use their liberty to serve the community, to serve others. So it's a society that resolves the conflict of individual versus community by protecting the rights of the individual, but politically empowering those who serve the community. Meanwhile, in Stranger in a Strange Land, we sort of have two protagonists. One, Jubal Harshaw, who lives a solitary, libertarian existence, who lives his life as he chooses and does everything he can to ensure that no one else, government or private citizen, can force him to do anything he doesn't want to do. And on the other hand, we have Valentine Michael Smith, who leads sort of this cultural revolution on Earth, trying to bring people into this Martian commune-style living of free love and everybody sharing everything they have in living in harmony without private property and without money. We have these two characters who are ultimately reconciled at the end of the book as Harshaw begins to see the value of Michael's philosophy and we get sort of a hint that Harshaw is sort of taking over as a new leader of Michael's community. So, Far from being in conflict with one another, I think these two books reflect a consistency of political and social thought for Heinlein. They are two different attempts by Heinlein to reconcile this conflict he has in his head. How do you reconcile a desire for strong individual liberty with a desire to realize a community where everybody looks out for and cares for one another? I think that's what's going on here. And while these books are thematically very different, subject matter is very different, they're simply different attempts to resolve this conflict. With Starship Troopers on top of that also being a call to arms, a call to fight against the Soviet Union, which is seen as a threat to individual liberty in general. So that's what I think is going on here. And I'd love to hear 
your thoughts on this? Am I off base? Does this make sense? Is there something I'm missing about Heinlein? Is there another book that I should go to that shows a different philosophy? I will be doing one more book on Heinlein coming next week. But in the meantime, is there anything else I should be looking at? Let me know. But before I wrap up, there were a couple other political thoughts that occurred to me while reading this book that I wanted to share. One, I thought it was interesting that in the book, Heinlein seems to argue that the best way to win people over to your cause, the best way to win followers, win converts, is to promise them happiness. That's sort of what Heinlein is arguing when he talks about this Church of the New Revelation. Heinlein, through the character Jubal Harshaw, argues that the reason the Church of the New Revelation has become so successful is because it's a church that just promises people happiness. It tells people, do what you want, live how you choose, without guilt, without consequence. We just want you to be happy, as long as you sign on with us and give us your money and your support and so on. But Heinlein arguing, that's what motivates people. That's what people want. And the character Harshaw specifically saying, talking about the New Revelation, why they're so successful, says, quote, Hitler started with less and all he peddled was hate. For repeat trade, happiness is sounder merchandise. So Harshaw saying, of course, this Church of the New Revelation is successful. They're peddling joy and happiness. Hitler was able to win over a whole country and he was preaching hate. How much further could this church go? And it made me think of a piece by the writer George Orwell that started making the rounds on social media a while ago, where Orwell was specifically talking about the rise of Hitler. And Orwell's explanation for why Hitler was able to come to power and was so successful in winning over supporters was specifically because he preached hate and war and aggression and violence. Orwell's argument was that that's what people deep down really want. Orwell taking a much more dark, pessimistic view of humanity. Orwell argued Hitler was successful because capitalism, socialism, these other philosophies promised people wealth and prosperity and pensions and welfare programs, while Hitler, according to Orwell, recognized that people like those things. They like being comfortable sometimes, but deep down, people also want to struggle. They also want to feel like they're part of an epic battle. They're taking part in some struggle. They want to suffer. They want to self-sacrifice, along with getting the parades and the flag waving and so on. So I just thought of that and I thought that was interesting. You have Heinlein arguing Hitler was successful in spite of his message. Whereas Orwell, another writer, argued, no, Hitler was successful specifically because of that message. That's the message people deep down want to hear, sadly. So I thought that was interesting. And finally, one other political thought. Something that really is a difference between these two books, Stranger in a Strange Land and Starship Troopers, is how federalism specifically global federalism, is presented. In both books, we get a future where humanity has begun to unite under a single world government. And in Starship Troopers, it's presented as a positive thing. We get the sense that the Federation is a good, just government, and that while it's one government for the whole world, it truly is a federal government. It's a government where the central government at the top has power, but also there are sub-levels of government that also share power, and each region can, to some degree, govern itself. Each region retains some of its own values, its own culture, and so on. So we get a positive view of federalism, a federalism that works, where diversity of lifestyle, diversity of culture, diversity of government and law is celebrated to some degree. Meanwhile, Stranger in a Strange Land giving us a much more negative view of federalism. It presents 
a federalism where the new overarching central government is portrayed as tyrannical and as overriding the freedoms of the various subdivisions, the various sublevels of government that have been united under it. Harshaw, several times in Stranger in a Strange Land, references how he's annoyed that U.S. law is no longer supreme in the United States, references how he wishes he could still cite the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights, in a court of the Federation, but he knows that the Federation government and its laws can override the United States government to the detriment of liberty, to the detriment of civil rights. So, two competing views of federalism. One, federalism works. It allows one central government to hold power while giving each region a good degree of autonomy to do what it wants versus a negative view, a federalism where the central government becomes tyrannical and begins to strip power away from the various regions it controls, the various lower levels of government to the detriment of civil rights. So that's Stranger in a Strange Land. And again, tell me what you think. Did I get this right? Did I get this wrong? Let me know, and next week we'll wrap up with one more Heinlein book. Thank you. And it's time for Side Rant. So this week, nothing really specific. I just want to just throw out a bunch of random thoughts that I had that would not fit into the topic of this episode. First of all, rereading Starship Troopers and Stranger in a Strange Land back-to-back reminded me how brilliant Heinlein was. Reminded me why he's one of my favorite science fiction authors. It reminded me how ahead of his time he was and how much he influenced science fiction that would follow. A major theme in Stranger in a Strange Land is language and how language affects how we think. It really draws on the idea of the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis, the academic concept that a person's native language affects how they think. Essentially, the idea being that the language you learn as a child, the words you use, the vocabulary, the structure of sentences and so on, it's not just a tool for communicating. It also structures your mindset. It structures how you think. And examples are things like supposedly cultures that have a language with a lot of different words for colors, with a lot of words to describe different variations, different shades of color, will produce individuals who are more able to detect slight changes in color, detect slight differences in shades of color, as opposed to people who come from a language where there are just red, green, blue, simple color distinctions. They won't be able to really see subtle variations in shade and hue of color because The language has wired their brain so that they perceive things differently. They don't see these subtle changes because they don't have the words for them. That's just one example. But that's the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis, that language structures how you think. And it is such a big part of Stranger in a Strange Land, where characters, as they learn Martian, begin to think differently. And it's explained that there are certain concepts that you just can't express in any human language, that you have to learn Martian to really understand Valentine Michael Smith's philosophy. And this is an idea, I don't know if there's a lot of science fiction or fantasy that's dealing with this idea at this time. I think the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis was initially advanced in the 1930s, so it hadn't really been that long since the idea had come out in academia, and I don't know to what extent it was 
out in the popular consciousness how much the average person knew about this. But Heinlein's sitting very ahead of his time telling stories that deal with these ideas of how does language shape how we think. And this was an idea that has, I think, become more popular in fiction lately. If you've seen the science fiction movie Arrival, which itself was based on the short story, Story of Your Life by Ted Chiang, this is a movie and a short story that deals explicitly with this idea. In Heinlein, telling a story that deals with similar ideas decades before it became a more popular topic for science fiction. Another thing that comes up that would become popular in later fiction, Stranger in a Strange Land deals with the idea of a person having such control over their body, over their involuntary bodily functions, the subconscious aspects of their brain, that they're able to have total control over everything their body does to the point where in the book Valentine Michael Smith is able to drink alcohol as much as he wants without getting drunk because he can control his metabolism, he can detect when alcohol goes into his system and separate the ethanol into its component parts before it can affect his body, affect his brain. So he can just keep drinking and just break down the alcohol himself. It's implied he can't be poisoned because if he were poisoned, he would simply detect the poison was causing harm to his body and break down the poison in his body so it can't harm him. This was an idea that would come up years later in Dune where Frank Herbert would write about the Bene Gesserit, a secret society of women who have, through training and study, gained control over their subconscious mind and their bodily functions to the point where they can convert poisons inside them and not be harmed and slow down their natural aging process. So another idea that would become more popular in science fiction being pioneered by Heinlein years earlier. Heinlein argues, in sort of a tongue-in-cheek way, but I, I think deep down he does believe it, that essentially... All human accomplishments throughout time were driven by sexual desire. That essentially human beings wanting to mate with one another was really the only motivation that caused us to do anything. Heinlein says from sonnets to nuclear equations. It was all just people trying to be successful so they can have sex. A funny idea, but a funny idea that the sci-fi comedy cartoon Futurama would lampoon years later in an episode where they present that human civilization will fall apart if people suddenly have access to robots that will have sex with them because people won't do anything anymore. Society will collapse. So an idea that Futurama will deal with jokingly in the future, something that Heinlein, again, decades ahead of his time, making a comment about. So that was my side rant. Thank you for listening. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. As always, please be in touch with me on social media. I'd love to hear from you, what you like, what you don't like, thoughts for future episodes, always welcome. You can reach me on Twitter at Social Sci-Fi Show, on Facebook at Social Science Fiction Podcast, on Instagram at social underscore sci underscore fi, and you can email me at socialsciencefictionshow at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Please consider subscribing. New episode every Tuesday. Coming up next week, we wrap up this Heinlein series talking about For Us the Living. See you then.